pray amen. Hey, Joe Davis. That was so good. Is that like a, like a Scottish or Irish kind of a feel? That last song kind of like a, a, a Gaelic kind of blessing? I don't know. See, I don't really know what I'm talking about. So, Man, it's a strange Easter Sunday, but it's no less joyful than any other because we're celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. And I'm um, Joe Davis, the pastor here at Grace Life. For those of you that have never been to a Grace Life service, I know there are some of you that are watching for the first time you're seeing us online. Um, we're thankful to be able to have this opportunity. Uh, we're continuing with our series. Actually, I'm not doing like a special Easter message because the next passage is about resurrection, which is kind of cool how that worked out. <clears throat> I'd like to say I planned that from the very beginning, but I would be lying. But um, we're titling this message a number 20. Bring that up there. Is that not on? Uh... not working there, Kevin, so maybe we need to bring me another one. Oh, there we go. All right, or maybe that's not it. That's not me, so you guys are going to advance it for me until you get me another one. Um, We've titled this A Frightening Resurrection. So Easter is this um, annual reminder of the good news of how Jesus conquered death and rose from the grave. And it certainly is good news, of course, especially to Christians, that our Savior has died for our sins. You got another one for me? Great, thanks. Hey, there's Mike Bassett, everybody. Great, okay, excellent. I feel better. It is good news, of course, because our Savior has died for our sins, and then he conquered death so that we might have life. But have you ever thought about the possibility of the other side of resurrection power? That is, as good as it is for us, There are, in fact, in every resurrection story, winners and losers. Matter of fact, in some of the greatest movies or stories, the the climactic point is often when a hero who has been killed is resurrected. Stories of good guys defeated by evil and the bad guys, and then somehow they come back to life and defeat evil. Every resurrection has this side. A side that is not very thrilled with the outcome of a resurrection. A side that loses because somebody has conquered death. I think of one of my favorite movie series of all time, The Matrix. There was a resurrection in there that really messed up evil's plans. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's a resurrection in a Star Wars movie somewhere. There's like 11 of them, so some movie there was a resurrection. Game of Thrones had a resurrection when Jon Snow came back to life. Those are just off the top of my head some examples of good guys being killed and resurrected and defeating evil. Imagine if you were the bad guy. You kill the good guy standing in your way of power and success, and then bam, he comes back to life. How much worse can it get for a bad guy, really, if you think about it? You think you're safe, only to learn the good guy can't be killed. You can see how a resurrection would be bad news for one side. And that's where we pick up in our study of Mark as we learn about how one man was frightened with a possible resurrection. Uh, We're going to read from Mark chapter 6, verse 14 to 20. King Herod heard of it. He's hearing about all the miracles that Jesus and his disciples are doing. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, no, it's Elijah. Another said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I have beheaded, 
has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. Another translation say, very afraid. But yet he heard him gladly. So we like to look at each uh, part of Scripture in three different ways. First of all, the history. I want to talk about a dead man walking. So be, before we get into this, you have to understand the backstory. And we didn't read verses 21 to 29, but I'm just going to give you a summary of the backstory. <clears throat> why did Herod arrest John in the first place? And why did he have him beheaded? Well, here's the rest of the story, right? So Herod, by the way, this is the son of the Herod who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. It's a different Herod. It's his son. He's a Jewish king. He's not religious. He's more like a cultural, political kind of a Jewish person. And he lives in the lap of luxury. The problem with Herod is he's morally bankrupt. Among many other things, one of the things he did was he stole his brother Philip's wife, Herodias, and married her. So Herod had heard about this popular guy named John the Baptist that was going around preaching, and everybody's gathering him. They say, this guy's an incredible preacher. You ought to meet him. So he met John, and when he did, John had a message for him. John the Baptist called out his immoral relationship with his brother's wife as illegitimate. And Herodias, the wife that was stolen, Herod's new wife, is angry, and she wants John the Baptist killed. She can't have this guy running around blasting her good name. But Herod is afraid to kill John the Baptist because he knows he's a man of God. Even though Herod's not a man of God, he, he recognizes and respects this aspect of John, and he didn't want to be cursed. So instead, he has him arrested. <clears throat> and John's in captivity for quite a while. Herod grew to respect John the Baptist. In fact, you could even say he developed a little bit of an affection for him. Scripture gives us the idea that they spoke often when John was in ca captivity. He grew in appreciation. They had personal discussions. And Mark even says, Herod heard him gladly. It speaks to why John was such a great speaker and a great person and was loved so much. In captivity, Herod protected John for this reason. Even though he had imprisoned him, he still respected him, and he was imprisoned out of, you know, pressure from his wife. But then we fast forward, and we see that Herod has a birthday party. Herodias' wife has never forgotten how John had embarrassed her, calling out this immoral relationship. And a year later, Herod throws himself this big birthday bash, and Herodias' daughter, who, understand, that's Philip, his brother's daughter. So it's a weird thing. It's, it's Herod's niece and stepdaughter all at once. It's really sick. She's dancing. And Herod is just smitten with her. And he says, whatever you want, I'll give you. Just name it. And so in front of all the guests at the birthday party, <clears throat> Philip's daughter, Herodias' wife, asks her mother, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. Herod doesn't want to kill John, understand. He still likes him. But if he doesn't, he's going to be embarrassed in front of all his guests. So he nervously, reluctantly orders the execution immediately. He is forced into it and regrets it. 
almost instantly. He knows John is an innocent man, that he is killed unjustly, basically on a party dare. That's really how this goes down. But then we have some resurrection horror. We fast forward some more, <clears throat> probably another year. Herod hears about these miraculous stories of Jesus and his disciples, and suddenly he's terrified. He is certain that this Jesus is really John the Baptist resurrected in disguise and back from the grave to judge him, to kill him. See, in those days, if you killed someone, your worst possible fear would be that they would come back from death to enact revenge. <clears throat> so, if Herod thought John was resurrected, it meant he was bringing judgment on Herod. Obviously, John the Baptist was not resurrected. He's not running around claiming to be Jesus, but at this point, Herod is convinced it is, and he becomes obsessed with meeting Jesus. We read about this, actually, in our Good Friday account that Megan and I did, where Herod finally met Jesus. <clears throat> Herod knows John well. He wants to see him face to face to see if Jesus is John who resurrected back to take revenge. So that's the history of the passage. Now look at the spiritual side. I want you to understand there are always two sides to every resurrection. Obviously, a resurrected John the Baptist isn't running around pretending to be Jesus. But when I read this story <coughs> excuse me, this week, it made me think about how a resurrection always has a side that is fearful and a side that is joyful. While Herod certainly would have been frightened of a resurrected John, others would have been overjoyed. John's family, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, many of them would have been thrilled to see John again. And if he had been resurrected, it could have been great news. But now take that picture of Herod and his fear and compare it to both sides of the resurrection story of Jesus. There's one side is the fearful side or the judgment side. That's right, a resurrection is not always good news. There is always a fearful side to a resurrection. Think of what the Roman and temple authorities might have experienced on that first Easter. We just killed this guy, and now rumors are he's running around alive. Even worse, think about how Satan must have felt <clears throat> when he realizes Jesus has been resurrected. I mean, Satan had used everything in his power to influence the government and religion to bring Jesus to the cross to kill him. And with each passing day, once Jesus is dead and he's in the tomb and he dies, with each passing day Jesus is in the tomb, Satan becomes more comfortable, more convinced he has defeated the Son of God. He's probably joyful, he's satisfied, he's starting to think about what eternity will be like without Jesus around. But then, after day three, what Herod feared had happened actually does happen. Satan's worst nightmare, his worst nightmare comes true. After investing everything he had in defeating Jesus, Jesus has risen from the grave and he's come back to life. And in doing so, Satan knows, because he's not stupid, Satan knows his fate is sealed. And judgment day is no longer avoidable. It is inevitable. Now all he can do is watch and wait for his demise. And what makes it worse for Satan, this is what really gets him, are the daily reminders of how devastating 
the resurrection of Jesus is for him. It's not just fear of the impending judgment that haunts him day by day, but he's haunted by what Jesus is doing every day when he saves and calls his children out of darkness into light. As a matter of fact, John talks about this in chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Day after day, since the first Easter, since the resurrection, Satan has felt the wrong end of resurrection power thwart him at every turn. Day after day, his fear and horror revisit him, and they will continue to revisit him for all eternity. Day after day, he witnesses Jesus' prophecies about the kingdom of God that we learned in Mark 4, unfolding, expanding, taking over, and there is nothing Satan can do about it. Day after day, it's a constant barrage and a reminder of God calling his children to salvation, and there's nothing evil can do to stop it. That's not good. You can see how while we are joyful and happy with the resurrection, for Satan, it's the worst possible outcome he could imagine. So that's the fearful side, but then I want to talk about the joyful side of resurrection. And as Satan deals with his worst nightmare, we go back to that first Easter, there was this frightened, ragtag group of people who hear the news of the first Easter. Imagine with me the contrast of what Jesus' followers experience compared to Herod or Satan when they first hear about a resurrection. First, the women come back from the tomb, and they report the resurrection news that Megan read about. There's probably tears of joy. They can barely speak. They're so excited. Chills running up and down their spine. They can't. Is this possible? Did he really conquer the grave? And fearing disappointment, some who they're talking to, they don't want to believe it yet because, listen, that would be great, but there's no way. And they actually rebuke the women. Stop. Stop talking this way. This is nonsense. I don't want, you ever had somebody tell you news? You say, don't tell me, and it not be true. There's almost a fear of the good news. Others run to see the empty tomb for themselves right away, while others would need to see Jesus first and actually touch the wounds in his hands. But soon, all of them recognize it's real. The resurrection happened. Jesus is alive, and their response is complete joy and euphoria. Any fear they might have had of Rome or reprisals from the temple, all of that is evaporated. Why? Because they're not afraid of death anymore. Their Jesus has conquered Rome, the temple, and the grave. And then the scripture says, later on we learn in Acts, they become fearless. They become incredible messengers for the kingdom because they know the resurrection means they've already won. Their Jesus is God. He has defeated the grave. His promises are true. And now nothing can stop them. 
So how can we make this a personal application for us this Easter? This was the um, social media campaign I put out, the Sunday Sermon Preview. A resurrection is a victorious event, but not always for everyone. I mean, it's clear we can see, right, from the story of Herod and John the Baptist and also Satan and the resurrection of Jesus, a resurrection isn't always good for everyone. And it's important for us, if we're really going to understand the full joy that Easter brings God's children, we have to acknowledge this fact, that the resurrection power is both power to save, but also power to judge. So before we get to the good stuff of Easter, and we're going to get there, trust me, we need to quickly first address that judgment side of resurrection power. You don't want to be on that side of resurrection power. You want to make sure you're on the right side of resurrection power. Well, we got to look at it just a bit. You think a pandemic forces you to reevaluate everything in life? Try being on the wrong side of a resurrection. That's nothing compared to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's just put it this way. You're going to want to make sure that you're always on the right side of resurrection power. And the resurrection of Jesus, what it does is it forces, whether we like it or not, every person to deal with this reality sooner or later. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 14, the second half of 10 through 12, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess, so then each one will give an account of himself to God. Jesus has this power and authority of judgment because of the resurrection. At some point, everyone will know the resurrection is real, whether they believe it today or not. Everyone will know it's true. It's just a matter of time. But with that, I want to switch gears now to the good part of resurrection power, the good Easter stuff. You can get on the right side of resurrection power before we sign off today if you're not already. In fact, each one of you can experience, let me see if you can understand this, you can experience your own resurrection today, a spiritual one, as Jesus calls you out of death into life. In John chapter 5, verse 25, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. So the question is, have you heard it before? Or maybe can you hear it now? That, that voice of God that Jesus has through resurrection power to call us from spiritual deadness into life? The resurrection power that at that moment you recognize it because it rushes into your heart, your soul, and your mind, and you are transformed. That's the moment the Spirit of God gives you ears to hear and a heart that believes. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. In other words, he resurrected us. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is one of the great things about resurrection power. It's not just about the, resurrect the resurrection of Jesus, his resurrection, 
we also can be subject to that good resurrection power. And unlike Herod or Satan, we don't live in fear of the resurrection. We can, if we have been called out of darkness into light, live in its unbridled power for hope and joy. Resurrection joy that sets us free from the bondage of fear of government, religion, or some virus. It's a joy the world, no matter what it brings, can never undo. You know why? Because its greatest weapon is death, and it has been defeated by our Savior. Matter of fact, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This personal, spiritual, resurrection power enables us to live with joy in a broken and a dying world that sometimes feels like it's spiraling out of control. A joy, frankly, that in these settings seems unfounded, even silly to those on the wrong side of resurrection power. But think about this. On that day, that we finally get to not just trust in the resurrection and believe in the resurrection, but to see our resurrected Jesus face to face. Imagine with me the euphoria of being on the right side of that resurrection power. It's incomprehensible. I, personally, I cannot imagine trying in any way to live a life on this earth without the joyful hope of that day I can't imagine trying to live a life on the wrong side of resurrection power. Yes, it's true we do have lives to live now. Things to do, people to love, jobs, ministry, calling, all that is true. But the relief and the fulfillment that we experience the day we see resurrected Jesus in person, nothing's going to be able to compare to that power. And if you have been called out of darkness, if you have been resurrected spiritually, resurrection power now becomes the filter for how we see life on earth, no matter what comes. So, my question, when I just describe that moment that we meet Jesus face to face, do you have that yearning right now? For the moment that you get a chance to embrace resurrected Jesus face to face without any social distancing rules? A hug mixed with tears of joy, relief, satisfaction, completeness if you have that sense that feeling good news this means you've been given the gift of faith 
You've been called out of darkness into life. It means that you believe in the resurrection and you are on the right side of resurrection power. <clears throat> Jesus, in these weird times that we're going through, as a, not just as a nation, but as a world, there are many aspects of things that are unknown. But those whom you've called, those who had the ears to hear, who have heard your voice and have been resurrected spiritually, we know this for sure. The tomb is empty. You are alive. We're not fearful of the resurrection. We are joyful because of it. We thank you that you have put us on the right side of resurrection power. And for those maybe who have never considered the possibility they were on the wrong side of resurrection power, we ask by your grace you would open their ears so they can hear you call, so they can join us on the joyful side of resurrection power. <clears throat> we thank you that while this Easter is the strangest we've ever had, for many it could be the most joyful. We know this, it's one we will never ever forget. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of things before we go. <clears throat> First thing I wanted to let you guys know is how much we miss you and love you. Can I have the worship team come up here for just a minute? Maintaining your social distancing rules, of course. But I wanted the team to come up <clears throat> because we wanted to be able to communicate to you, our church family, that we love you. Yeah, well, you can come down here if you want. Can they still be seen down here, Kevin? All right, so come up on the stage. Pretend like you're going to play, but not. I wanted you to see us as a team before we close to let you know that we love you. We're thankful for you. And if you need anything, we have your back, like we've been saying every week. But the most important thing is on behalf of this team, we want to wish you and your family an incredibly joyful Easter on the right side of resurrection power. Before I close in prayer, one more thing I want to mention to you is that on Friday, we're going to have another Friday night live stream. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Al Owen right here and I will be doing a time of music and conversation 6 p.m. on Facebook Live. You're going to really enjoy it. Al, you're going to do a, like an original song too, right? Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> let me just pray a, a prayer of blessing uh, for all of you. Father, may you pour out your heart and spirit and truth on those you've given ears to hear. May we leave today with the confidence of knowing we're on the right side of resurrection power. And Lord, we ask that everything we do this week, may everything we say, be filtered through that prism so that everything we accomplish will bring a huge, massive smile to your face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week.